authors. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the epistle to the, the first epistle to the Thessalonican church in the next weeks. But as Paul is writing to this church, I thought about this morning as I was listening to the songs about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and how the question that is facing this church is one of God's faithfulness. And really, it's a question that, that we face. We all will have times when we're questioning and wondering. No matter, isn't it amazing? No matter how many times God has proven himself faithful and good to us, we will still wonder and question when we go through hard times as if God maybe won't be good and faithful this time. And yet he is. Every single time. The church, in the early days of the church, believed that Christ would come back in their time. But as time went on in Thessalonica, there were questions beginning to rise because believers were dying. They were being buried, and the question was, well, what will happen? What is going to take place with these believers? Are they going to be taken when Christ returns? What's going to happen? And so these questions are arising that really are rooted in, is, is God going to be faithful to his promise? And so Paul writes this first epistle. The entire letter is written to help the church understand about the coming of Christ, what we refer to as the rapture of the church. We're going to start, we don't, I don't usually start at the end of a book, but I want to start toward the end this morning because it's here that Paul deals with the reality of the rapture. The rapture of the church is one of those truths that we say we believe, but when it comes right down to it, I have to wonder, do we actually live as if it's true? That Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Before this service is over, before we say the final amen on this service, Jesus Christ could return. Are we ready for that? Are we living as if the rapture is a reality? When we think about that, this passage this morning is given for our admonition and it is given for our consolation. I want you to see some truths this morning that Paul gave to the church then and is inspired for us today to understand there's what we need to know about the reality of the rapture. I want you to follow with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them. It's an old English word for precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first." Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This passage, this truth is not just to inform our minds, it is to encourage our hearts for us to know the truth of Christ's return. Now before we look at this passage, let me just say that some people will automatically say, well, you can't find the word rapture in the New Testament. 
Well, there's a number of other words you don't find in the New Testament, but they are taught there. For example, trinity or missions. We don't read those words, but they are there. The concepts are there. But this word that is used here is the word that we read, we will be caught up together with him. The, the catching away. The word that is there is a Greek word. Of course, the New Testament written in Greek. And the, the Latin word that is the corresponding word is our, where we get our word rapture from. So this word, this catching away, though it may not be the specific English word, the word is there. How are we to understand it? What does it mean for us? What does it mean to, oh, there's a catching away that takes place? Well, there's several places in the New Testament that this word is used that can help give us an understanding of what Paul is talking about when he uses the word that we are called away. Let me give you several of these, and if you want to just write down the references, I'm not going to read the entire passages this morning, but the first place I would point us to is Acts chapter 8 and verse 39. In the book of Acts, Philip is, is preaching a revival in Samaria, and about verse 39, or a little before there, he is called by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch, an officer in the queen's court from the nation of Ethiopia. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. You know the story. He explains the prophet to him, and he says, What hinders me from being baptized? And so they went down into the water, and they're baptized. But the verse says there in Acts 8.39 that when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. He was there one minute, he was there one instant, and he is called away. He is called up and called away, and he is immediately somewhere else. Another verse that we find is in John chapter 6 and verse 15. Jesus perceives that they would take him by force. Jesus has just fed the multitudes, and you remember that they mistakenly thought that he would be an earthly king. And so they're ready to set up the uh, earthly kingdom, and what better way than have a king that can provide food for everybody and feed everyone and feed an army. And so they say they would take him by force. This is used in sort of a negative sense, but it's the idea of that snatching away that takes place forcefully. A third verse that I would point us to this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he speaks about the Gentiles being carried away by dumb idols. Here, it reminds us of an aspect of this truth that it is dealing with devotion toward something that is worshipped. They are carried away by idols. But it's the idea of being carried up and caught up in devotion and love. The fourth passage is also in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 10. Paul is in danger. Paul has come back to Jerusalem, and there are assassins who are trying to take his life. And so the Roman soldier comes in to rescue Paul. And he comes in, he said he would come and take him by force on a rescue mission to snatch him away from danger. The fifth is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul uses this word to say he was called up to the third heaven when he was taken up to see what was not lawful for man to utter. So if we take these passages seeking to understand this word rapture, what does it mean? When the rapture comes, we will be caught away speedily, taken away by force, rescued, delivered from danger, transported or carried away from one place to a heavenly place. I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot caught up in one word in the, in the scriptures. We will be called away. We will be raptured. 
So what does Paul have for us to see in this? I want you to see three things this morning very quickly. Number one, Paul says we must learn about the coming of Christ. We must learn about the coming of Christ. The believers are not certain about what's going to take place. Notice the phrase that he uses in verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to not know what's going to take place. So I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to tell you. And Paul very simply explains what the coming of Christ, what the rapture is going to look like. First of all, it is the Lord himself returning. Verse 16, did you see that? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Now, there's going to be a lot of noise going on. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. God's people are going to be called out and snatched out from this world. And I think as I hear, think about the voice with the shout, I think about the voice of Jesus in John chapter 11 as he speaks at the tomb of Lazarus. And he calls for them to roll the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth often heard it said that if Jesus had not said Lazarus, if he had just said come forth, that every believer in that graveyard would have come out. But Jesus said Lazarus come forth and that's the voice, that's the, that's the shout. He will come and he will call his people to himself. It is the Lord himself coming, but he comes suddenly. A parallel passage to this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he describes in the latter verses of that chapter how our mortal is going to be changed into an immortal body. And he says it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, the twinkling of an eye, I understand, is quicker than the blinking of an eye. And that's supposed to be about 11 one-hundredths of a second. They say, then, I don't know who figures this up and who's counted this, but they say that about 20,000 times a day you can, blink, you can flicker your eye. That's about 20,000 opportunities every day for Jesus to come back. It's going to happen suddenly. There are those who seem to think, I'll get ready for Christ's return when he comes back. But I'm going to tell you that it's going to happen so suddenly. In fact, chapter 5 is going to describe it as a thief in the night. It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to be in an instant. That's why it could happen at any moment. It could happen before I finish this sentence or before I finish this sermon or before we finish this service. Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And let me say to you that a large portion of the Scripture speaks of and points to and prophesies of the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ is just as sure in its promises as the first coming was. We often think about all the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus being born of a virgin and born in Bethlehem and all those prophecies fulfilled. The same promises and prophecies are just as sure that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so he's going to come suddenly. He's going to come instantly. But he's coming back for believers. There's a second resurrection that the book of Revelation describes for us where the those who did not attain to the first resurrection, this resurrection, will be raised to face the judgment seat of Christ. But this is not speaking of unbelievers. This is speaking specifically of believers, both living and dead. Let me point out to you several phrases and words here. He says, first of all, in verse 14, for if we believe, 
This is speaking of those who have believed that Jesus died and rose again. And let me just say to you that if we can believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and resurrected him, why is it such a hard thing for us to believe that he's going to raise us from the dead? Why is it such a hard thing for us to believe and understand that our loved ones who are buried and have gone, God's going to raise them and resurrect them. He's going to bring them up with him. The dead in Christ shall rise first. But he says those that are, we, if we believe, but then notice that he also uses the, the phrase in verse 14, even those also which sleep in Jesus. That's a term that's never used. Number one, sleep as a form of death is never used of an unbeliever in the New Testament. It's not talking about soul sleep. It's talk about resting in Jesus in death. Death is a, is a rest from the weariness of this life, but they are in Jesus. This is not everyone who has died. He says, for example, all the way through this, he uses the word we. Paul is including himself. He is speaking of those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. This is a, a resurrection of believers. And then he contrasts that in verse 17 with those, I'm sorry, back in verse, uh, verse 14, with those that have no hope, that you sorrow not even as others that have no hope. Those that have no hope of the resurrection, except the resurrection to, to justice and judgment before the great white throne. So who is he, what is he saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ is going to come suddenly for believers living and dead. And here's the last part that Paul tells us we must learn about the, about the coming of Christ. And that is that he is coming to take us to be with him forever. Do you see that in verse 17? He says, this, so, last part, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So what is this rapture? What is this coming that's described? It is the Lord himself coming suddenly for believers living and dead to take them to be with him forever. And that one truth, that one sentence is what he says in the next verse, wherefore comfort one another with these words. The promise that we have First of all, that this life is not the end. Do you get the full impact and power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The resurrection is the promise that this life is not all there is. And so the suffering and the sorrows and the trials that we go through are not pointless and they are not purposeless. We can say with Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this time are not to be compared to the glory that awaits. That's what the resurrection, that's the comfort. And the, the loved ones who have gone, the believers who had died in Thessalonica, and even the ones who originally read this letter, who are long dead and gone, and so many believers since, and those that we have known, even in recent days, our brothers and sisters who have gone, we will be restored with them. They will be raised. That is the comfort that we have. So we must learn of Christ's coming. But there's a second truth here is, is that we must live for his coming. Not living for this moment, not living for this day, but living for Christ's return. First John tells us that we must be found faithful so that when he shall appear, we can have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If Jesus came back before this service was over, if Jesus came back in that instant, would you be prepared? Would you be ready? Would you stand before him with confidence? Or would you be ashamed before him at his coming? That's what he says in this passage also. He says down in chapter 5 and verse 4, Brethren, you are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
They're, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. When a thief comes to your house, he's not going to call you up and say, now, I'll be by your house about 2 o'clock on Thursday morning. Uh, please have some of your possessions ready for me. It's not the way it works. He comes when you're not expecting it. But Paul says, you're, you're not of the darkness. You know Christ is coming. You shouldn't be called unawares. You should be prepared. You should be ready. I, I think about this being Mother's Day, and I remember times when my mom would go off and she would leave my brother and I at home, and she would leave for us certain tasks, certain jobs, certain chores to do. Did your mother ever, ever do that? You know, like when I, all right, now when I get back, I want this clean, and I want this put away, and I want these folded, and I want all these things. And, of course, I know with y'all, when they got home, everything was done, and that's the way it is with probably most of the children here this morning. That was obviously all. But there were times when I would be persuaded by my elder brother um, to, what are y'all laughing at? It's the truth. It really is. But my, my philosophy was, let's get it done, get it out of the way. I'm a little bit of compulsive about that. And he was like, hey, let's just have some fun. And then when, the, when they get home, we'll have it done in time. And somehow, you know, the time sort of slips up on you. And you'd hear those tires on the gravel. There were times when I did follow my better angels and, and have everything done. When my mom came to the door, I was there to meet her. I was ready for her. In fact, I wanted her to set everything down so I could take her and show her that I had done everything that she had asked me to do. I got this done, and I got this done. And by the way, I did this too that you didn't even ask about. However, there were other times when I was not confident at her coming. And you would hear the gravel on the, the tire on the gravel and know that you had about 30 seconds, and we would be all over the place trying to get this stowed here and this plastic, and we didn't get it done. And so we're at the door. One of us is stalling, trying to hold, you know, hold them up a little bit so that we have time to get a few more things done. Which way will it be when Christ returns? Will we stand before him because we have been found faithful? We have been living for his return, ready for his return? Will we stand confident, ready and assured? Yes, Lord, I'm glad you're here. I'm ready for this. Or will we be ashamed before him at his coming? No, Lord, I didn't share the gospel with that person. No, Lord, I didn't do that. I, I, I thought I would do it next week if I just had a little more time. If I just had another day, if I just had another moment, if I just had another opportunity. And when Christ comes back, all those opportunities will be gone. Will we live as though we are in the darkness? Or will we live as those of the light who are not called unaware by Christ's return? Paul says, I want you to be ready. This is the challenge of Christ's return. This is the, this is the confrontation of it. Will we live? Are you living for Christ's return? We say we believe in the rapture. Does our life demonstrate what we say we believe? But, let me give you quickly the consolation. We must look for his coming. I look forward to Jesus coming back. What a day that's going to be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. 
You see, God doesn't intend for us to live in fear, worried about Jesus coming back. Oh, well, will, will I get this right? Will I get that right? He wants us to live. Look at the words he used. He says in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5 and verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. That word edify means to build up, and it's not stoking our self-esteem. It is spiritually strengthening each other with this truth that Jesus Christ is coming back, and it is something for us to look forward to. It is something for us to be excited about. It is something for us to anticipate. Boy, when family that you haven't seen in a long time comes for a visit, what are you doing? You are anxiously anticipating their return. You can't wait to see them. That's the way my family is every single time I come to their house. Man, they are ready to see me. Some of y'all don't act like you believe that, but it's the truth. Y'all are a tough crowd this morning. Why do we anticipate it? What are we looking forward to? Well, there's three things about the rapture. Number one, we are looking forward to rescue. We are looking forward to rescue. Do you know what's going to happen shortly after the rapture takes place? Seven years of tribulation like this world has never seen is going to take place. And Christ is coming back to rescue his people from that. We are delivered from what is going to come, from the wrath to come. What a blessed truth that Jesus is coming to snatch his people away. Just before the, just before, you, when we look around our world and we see such tragedy. We see natural disasters. We see wars. We see conflict. We see diseases. We see all these things. Magnify that by a number that we probably can't even imagine, and you begin to understand the, the trouble of the tribulation. And Jesus is coming to take us away before that begins, and we will be rescued. It's also going to be a time of reunion. We're going to be reunited. Look, what is he talking to? He's talking to these believers because they're concerned about those who have died, those who sleep in Jesus. What's going to happen to them, Pastor Paul? What's going what's to take place? Paul says, look, I want you to know this, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Many of you, in, even in recent days, have stood by the, the grave of a loved one who had trusted in Christ, who knew Christ. And it's a blessing to know that right now they are with Christ. But the promise of the resurrection and the promise of the rapture is this, that we will be reunited with them. Wherefore, comfort, console, encourage one another with these words. What a powerful truth. Let me tell you, this is, this is where we live. This is what we are experiencing. I'm glad that the truth of Scripture is not just some, some theoretical idea that stokes our mind and piques our curiosity and makes us wonder about the future and all these. It is something that is real right here and now. And what Paul is talking about is a future event that has present implications. Because of that, we can be encouraged. We look forward. What are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to reunion. I'm looking forward to reunion with beloved brothers and sisters that I think of that have passed through the years. Some that I've not seen in years. It's been years ago, and I can't wait to see them again. I can't wait to be reunited with them. I can't wait to meet some of the, the believers that have gone on before. But the most important thing is we will be reunited with Jesus. He said, so shall we ever be with 
all the loved ones that have gone before. It's not what that verse said. So shall we ever be with the Lord. What a powerful truth that the relationship that we have with Christ now will be in that moment in its most perfect form, most, most, uh, the, the, the way that God designed it to be, we will get to be with him. You see, that's the blessed truth of salvation is God revealing himself to us and making himself known to us so that we can know him and be with him. And that's what's going to be so wonderful about heaven. Revelation tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and God himself will dwell with his people and he will be their God and they shall be his people. We will be with him. We're looking forward to a time of reunion. Several years ago, there was the idea that the world was going to end and I read a a headline from a secular news source that said, the end of the world, people think the world is ending and Christians are losing their minds over it. I thought, you really have absolutely no idea what Christians think about the end of the world. I'm looking forward to Christ's return because it is a time of reunion. It's also a time of receiving and revelation, the fulfillment of knowing Christ as he receives us unto himself, the Bible says, to be with Christ. Wow, what a wonderful, wonderful truth. We look forward to his coming. Let me ask you, are you looking forward to Christ coming? Are you looking forward to his return? Excited about it, anticipating it. I have read that in the early days of the church, because they had actually walked and talked with Jesus, that their idea was that Christ would come back in their time. So when they would, some of them would come to, to uh, crossroads, they would look both directions to see if maybe Christ had come back and was walking down the road. That's the kind of anticipation I want to have. Lift your eyes upon, remember the song, upon the eastern skies. Lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. That's what we have to look forward to. Are we looking forward to Christ's return? When we think about this rapture that's going to take place, and our readiness for it. I'm reminded of an illustration that I heard some years ago. I was trying to think this morning, I believe perhaps it was Dr. Adrian Rogers that shared this illustration that as a young man, as a child, he lived next to a a scrap yard. And in this scrap yard, he said there were um, pieces of all kinds of different metal lying on the ground. There was lead and there was iron and there was aluminum and maybe some silver and some steel. But he said above that scrapyard, they would have this huge magnet that would be drawn across it and it would pick up those pieces of metal and move them from one place to another. But he said as that huge magnet would come across, he said some of those pieces were lying on the ground over the years. Some of them had worked their way and sort of been covered by the dirt. But as that magnet was brought over that scrapyard, not every piece of metal was drawn up. Only those pieces, only that that metal that had the nature of the magnet in it was drawn to that magnet and was taken up. And that's exactly how the rapture is going to be. Only those, when Christ comes back in this moment, only those who have the nature of Christ in them will be taken up. So my question to you this morning is this. 
When I say, are you ready for the rapture? The first question I would ask you, has the nature of Christ been placed within you? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Are you ready? Should Jesus come back this moment, this very moment, would you be prepared? Would you be ready? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't, I want to give you the opportunity in just a moment. You can pray right where you are. You can come down and talk to one of our pastors. But I want you to know for sure that you will go when Christ returns, that you will be one of those who is caught away. If you know that for sure this morning, then let me ask you this. Are you living, looking for Christ's return? Is it something that excites you? Or is it something that you can go days on end without really even thinking about? Not living as if it's a reality, just living as if it's some, well, yeah, we check that box. We believe that this is going to happen. But something that is living and breathing in your life and in our life to look forward for Christ's return. Christ is coming back. Are we prepared? Will you bow with me for prayer this morning, please? Jesus could come today. Are you ready? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then let me ask you to please, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Please don't put it off. There's no promise of another day, another moment. Jesus could come back. I want to make sure that you're prepared and you're ready. If you have never placed your faith in Him, I'm not asking you if you have been baptized. I'm not asking you if you are a Baptist or a member of a church. I'm asking you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't done that, then let me ask you to do this. Maybe you'll pray a prayer something like this. Dear God, I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that if you came back at this moment, I'm not ready to go. I'm sorry for my sins. I know I can't do anything to save myself. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he rose from the dead. I place my faith in him for my salvation and I confess him as my Lord and my 